Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. So, you know, in that one flip, we generated roughly 50,000 in profit. So using those numbers, I mean, that's a good, that's a good profit on something like that. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guests, I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, So go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Best ever listeners, how's it going? I hope your day's going very well. Actually, I hope you're having the best ever day. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. And my name's Joe Fairless, the guy who's given you these best ever welcomes. We've had many best ever guests before, and we've got a great best ever guest today. From Barbara Corcoran, Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And today we've got JJ Polowski. How you doing, JJ? Doing great, Joe. Thank you. I didn't ask you how to pronounce your last name before we start recording. I pronounce that right? You did a great job. Yep. Sweet. It reminds me of a Penn State linebacker for some reason. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> JJ's based in Kansas City, Missouri. He's been investing. He's been uh, doing real estate investing for twelve years. And how long have you been doing it full time again? Full time uh, as an investor, just over ten years. Just over 10 years where he's flipped, rented, wholesaled, bought, sold, and rehabbed more than 300 properties all in Kansas City. 
And Kansas City is a market that's on my radar, and perhaps you can talk a little bit more about Kansas City as well whenever we get going. JJ, non-real estate related, is a registered nurse. So he's an RN, and we recently had a phlebotomist on the show. So we've, we've got all sorts of different healthcare professionals that have been guests recently. So, so you're in a similar company, my friend. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and for anyone who doesn't know what a phlebotomist is, like myself, when I first heard it, it's someone who is trained to draw blood from a patient. So with that being said, JJ, when you're not, uh, are you actively doing registered nurse stuff or are you full time? Are you doing focus full time on real estate? Focus full full time on real estate. I was uh, worked as a nurse for a number of years, and uh, that's when I started doing real estate investing for myself. Just off um, when I was off, you know, off time, and um, got into the real estate investing. Did that for a couple of years. Accumulated some rental properties, did some flips again, just while still working my full time job. And I uh, did that for about two years, maybe just over two years, and uh, made the decision it was time to uh, go full-time, uh, full boat into real estate, and that's, uh, that's what I did. And that was in uh, that was January of 2005 is when that happened. So January 2005, 2008 hit and some, some things happened. What did you do whenever the real estate market got turned upside down? Yeah, it definitely affected uh, many people, and uh, yeah, I, I ended up with some black eyes. I think would be a good way to explain it. I, I definitely learned a lot. I, I did um, survive, obviously. So we did get through two thousand and eight and nine, but definitely learned a lot as far as what I would do differently. Um, I, I realized uh, mistakes that I had made early on that I, at the course of the time, didn't realize it was a mistake. But uh, when the market changes, uh, it changes, and it changed uh, for anyone who was involved in the market then. Anyone knows it changed, and it changed bad. So it definitely took hits. And um, I think, though, uh, after that, and what I've realized now is it was a good, it was a good educational opportunity. And it's, it was one of those things that you you really couldn't buy that experience. You know, it was unfortunate, and, and for myself and the other investors who got who got killed uh, during that time? Uh, it, it was a trying time, but for those of us who have continued on, we've we've learned invaluable experience uh, from that. And uh, I use that experience every day in my business when I work with other investors or real estate agents or or anybody in the business. Um, uh, just because I, I can speak uh, accurately from the good, the bad, and then the really ugly. <laughs> Yeah, that's I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that and and let's talk specifics. What would you do differently or let let, let me phrase it this way. What were you doing pre-2008 that you're not doing post-2008? Well, pre-2008, I had the notion that real estate investing would just always work out. I I got into real estate investing and uh I had some very good coaches and mentors, uh, local people that were very successful in real estate investing. And so I jumped in, um, they kind of held my hand through it for a number of years and, and did very well in the first uh, couple of years. And so I think going into it, I kind of had the notion that, oh, this is just always going to work out. The tenants will always pay, the flip house will always sell, um, things like that. And and obviously what I learned, especially uh, in, in the bad market was, uh, you know, real estate can be very good and it can also be very bad. So um, I I tend to take a steps now to weather the storms. Definitely have a plan B. I, I tell every investor, 
uh, if you're doing investing, whether you're, you're, you're a landlord doing rental properties or you're flipping or you're wholesaling, always have a plan B because um, it doesn't always work out. You know, your flip house might flop and you need a plan B. Um, you know, your, your tenants don't pay. You need a plan B to, to weather that until you can get those tenants out and get new tenants in there. So I never really had a plan B because I didn't realize that, that there would be times um, that I would need a plan B. So but definitely tell people I have a plan B. The other thing is, uh, you know, I got started with very little money into real estate investing. And you still see it today. You see, you know, invest with no money down, 100% financing. You don't need any money to invest. And, and I, think that, I think that that's not accurate. I, I, there's definitely ways to do creative financing. And there's, and there's certainly ways you can do real estate investing with, with a little money out of your pocket. But I think you always need access to some money. And then some's subjective. Obviously, it kind of depends on the level of investing that you're doing. But people don't realize there's expenses. There's carrying costs. There's utilities. There's yard care. There's legal fees. There's taxes. There's insurance. There's all sorts of different expenses that come along with investing, even if you're only holding property for a short period of time. So the second thing I would do is is tell someone to have a whether the cushion's a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars, I think, again, it just depends on what it is that uh, he or she is investing in. But um, definitely have a cushion, even if you're you're trying to use other people's money. And I, and I do uh, agree you should use other people's money if you have the opportunity. I believe that's a, that's a good way to invest and leverage. But uh, definitely have a cushion uh, for when the bad times happen. Let's talk about your first properties. How did you get them financed? Because you, you mentioned that you started with little money. I used uh, hard money lenders uh, when I first got started. And that was back in 2005. I always joke and say that, you know, back then, if you fogged the mirror, I mean, if you were breathing, uh, you know, lenders were throwing loans out there and uh, making them very easy to get. And so I here locally in Kansas City, I started using hard money lenders. And then uh, what I would do is uh, if I was a, if it was a property that I was going to keep as a rental, I would go and refinance it with a conventional lender. And uh, I was able to do that quite a few times between 2005 and 2008. And then, of course, I, you know, I lived in my own house as well. Um, but was starting out, um, it was hard money lending and, and then some conventional financing for those properties I was holding longer. And are you a buy and hold investor in addition to fixing and flipping? Yeah, there's, there's three aspects of investing that I focus on wholesaling fix and flip, and then uh, buy and hold rental property. Those are the three areas of investing that I've always done and, and uh, have um, gotten very comfortable in. Uh, there's obviously other forms of investing, and um, uh, but for me in Kansas City, those three work very well. And how many properties do you have in your portfolio right now? Right now, as far as rental properties, I have eight. So I've really uh, slimmed down on the number of properties uh, from early before 2008. I had a substantial amount more, but then I ended up uh, getting rid of a, a lot of them. But um, as far as long-term rentals, I have eight. And then um, I manage uh, a number um, of other properties for their investors. Uh, fixing and flipping right now in Kansas City uh, has become a little bit more competitive than usual. So um, the fixing and flipping market here is, is definitely red hot, and uh, which has led uh, to some like, wholesaling opportunities. And, and so we kind of follow uh, or I, we kind of try to lead the uh, curve as far as uh, where the real estate market in Kansas City is going. And how many properties do you manage for other investors right now? Oh, we manage about 150 
properties and tenants right now. Are they mostly single families and duplexes? Correct. Yeah, single family, duplex, uh, smaller apartment buildings, uh, 12 units, 18 units, 21 units. Uh-huh. What would you say is the difference in management from a duplex to an 18 unit? Well, the difference uh, for one is just getting, usually going to be your um, your tenant or you know the person or persons that you're looking um, for to, to to rent. I mean, an 18 unit apartment that's generally like in the Kansas City area, for example, would be one bedroom, maybe two bedroom units. A duplex, of course, is generally going to be larger. Um, so your duplexes, on average, two started two bedrooms up to three bedrooms, maybe one to two baths, one to two car garages. So it's diff- definitely different price points, for example. Um, as far as an investor owning the property, you're going to have a little bit different expenses. And an apartment has one roof, whereas uh, you know a duplex uh, also has one roof. But then if you own multiple duplexes, as many investors do, you have multiple roofs, you have multiple insurance uh, payments, you have multiple tax payments, multiple yards to, to mow and maintain things of that nature. So some investors like going uh, the apartment route because it's one building. Other investors like going the duplex route because there's a little bit more flexibility as far as uh, selling. And um, and then again, it just as far as uh, management goes from our end, it's just a matter of supply and demand. And uh, right now, the rental market has been very hot in Kansas City. So you're seeing very high occupancy rates. We're running probably higher occupancy rates right now in the past 12 months than we have in the, probably ever. And that's um, kind of the consensus with a lot of management companies in, in Kansas City. It's just a sign of the times. The, the market's really well, uh, really good for that uh, market. When you work with a client, so an investor who has duplexes and they purchase a larger property, what are a couple things that surprise them about the process, either the acquisition process or whenever you're managing the property and the differences between the two, anything about that entire scenario? Well, when you go from a single family house to a duplex to an apartment building, as we mentioned, you're going for from different property. And, um, you know, in a duplex, uh, if you're talking about the duplex itself, you have two sides. And so generally you're going to either be a hundred percent rented or potentially 50% rented. Uh, when it comes to apartments, obviously, you're, you're generally probably going to run more like 90% on occupancy, maybe higher, hopefully higher. But again, it, it allows uh, for more vacancy because you have other people in the building you know, that are paying the rent. And then, of course, a single-family house, you're either 100% rented or 100% vacant. So uh, investors oftentimes like the flexibility of, of moving their capital uh, kind of up the chain. Uh, of course, you, there's uh, tax advantages of doing that. And I think that the big end goal for most investors is to own uh, apartment building or buildings. I think that that's what most uh, residential investors um, shoot for as far as an end goal. So, the, you know, picking up an apartment building, I think, um, gives them, um, you know, well, it's some goal um, accomplishment. And so... You've done 300 properties in the course of your career. What would you say is the aspect that you're very good at? Most people that know me will say that I'm I'm very good at uh, problem solving and I'm very good at telling it like it is. So candidness. Problem solving, uh, I I learned uh, about problem solving obviously from mostly from 2008 to 2009. 
many investors come into investing very naive, as did I, so I can't, uh, I can't fault anyone because I certainly did the same thing. They come in very naive thinking that it's always going to work, you know, the, the rent's always going to be paid, the house is always going to sell. And um, there are a lot of problems to solve, and then there are a lot of mistakes to either avoid or, or work with investors to help avoid. So problem solving and, and then just working with investors to avoid mistakes is a um, definitely a niche and something I really promote. Um, it's really the unsexy side of real estate investing. Uh, and what I mean by that is most people only want to talk about making money. They don't want to talk about you know, a tenant not paying, a house not selling, uh, and any number of the hundreds of other issues that can come up. But unfortunately, it's the reality of the situation. And, and once you've made it past whatever education or training or boot camps you're doing and, and you're getting into real estate investing and you start, whether it be wholesaling or you get a rental property or fix and flip or whatever the case may be, you know, as soon as you jump into it, you, uh, you open yourself up to the good of real estate investing, but then also uh, along with that comes the potential uh, mistakes and, and problems that can come up. So I, I've gotten very good at problem solving and working with investors to, to help them do this. What's a common problem that you've helped solve that you've seen come across over and over again with investors? Well, we do a lot of rehabs. And so there's always the problem of the overstated ARV, ARV meaning after repair value. So investors will overstate or overplan the ARV. For example, he or she may be using a number of 150,000 when in reality they should be using a number more like 130,000. And uh, it, it matters because in real estate investing, as, as you know, Joe, and many listeners probably do, you, you tend to make your money when you buy the property, regardless of your exit strategy. So um, if you're using the wrong number up front, it, it's going to skew your results in the end. And unfortunately, it's going to be in a bad way. The other thing on rehabs. Real quick, how do you avoid overstating the ARV? And if you fall into that trap, how do you fix it? Well, Using a Kansas City as an example, we have a lot of out-of-state investors, and out-of-state investors will will look online at different websites trying to uh, figure out or ascertain an, an ARV in like in a certain area or a certain neighborhood. I always recommend that an, an investor, whether they're local or out-of-state, work with a good seasoned real estate agent. Uh, if not for anything else other than just being able to pull accurate sales comparables. There, there's areas in the country, state-specific, uh, city-specific, where you can get good uh, online records, public records, but then there's just as many that don't have good online public records. So for an investor, um, it, it may be a, a shot in the dark trying to figure out on their own uh, what an ARV would be in a certain area. So I always recommend to investors find a good seasoned real estate agent that if nothing else can pull sales comparables. And okay. we have very specific criteria. Uh, what I always recommend uh, an investor would use only sales comparables, not active listings, but sales comparables within about a half a mile to up to three quarters of a mile radius. And these are sales within the last six, uh, maybe up to eight or nine months, but I would certainly try to stick with six. And then use those numbers uh, to, to uh, dictate what the ARV would be. 
it doesn't matter what the property sold for three years ago or or even like in our area, it doesn't really matter what the tax record says that it's worth um, because uh, the, the tax records, depending on what county you're in, could be uh, more accurate than others. So um, as far as ascertaining ARV, the only true uh, good way that I know of is to use uh, sale, MLS sales comparables. And how do you fix it if you find yourself in a scenario where you've already purchased it, you've overstated the after repair value, the ARV, what have you found? You know, you mentioned that you're a problem solver. So how do we solve that problem? Well, it's going to be related to cutting costs somewhere. You're going to take the hit in your profit. And, um, you know, oftentimes people will over investors will overstate the ARV and they'll understate the scope of work. So it's actually a double edged sword when in reality, the scope of work is higher. The ARV is actually lower. So many investors learn a lesson um, by doing that, because what they'll do is end up uh, with either a property that that sells and they basically break even, or uh, they may actually lose a little bit of money. Um, it, it, those are the two areas in rehabbing. Uh, again, whether you're it's a rental property or whether it's a flip house, where investors make uh, mistakes all of the time, understating scope of work and overstating ARV. Is there any way to increase the income? And I, I don't know the answer to this. I, I, I'm not asking because I'm trying to trick you into a certain answer. But is there any way to increase the income of a property if you've found that you've overstated the ARV? You know, because I know with any property, in order to help with cash flow, you've either got to increase the income, decrease the expenses, or put in less of your money into the property. Sure. And so if you've already bought it, then the whole less of your money thing is kind of out the window. So really it's, can I decrease the expenses or increase the income? Are there any creative ways that you found that you can increase the income of a property if you find yourself in a scenario where it's like, oh man, I totally overstated the ARV? Well, if you're flipping the house, that's that's the that's the exit strategy where you really don't want to overstate the ARV. But let's say if you're keeping a property as a rental property – um, the, the problem that you're going to have is if you're using other people's money, for example, if you're using a hard money loan or a private lender or something relatively short term, you're going to realize when you go to a conventional lender to refinance, uh, pay off your existing lender and get permanent conventional financing, you know, when that ARV comes in less, um, that potentially means that you would have to bring more money to that closing. Um, lenders are going to go off of a loan-to-value ratio, an LTV, and uh, if the ARV is less than uh, what you thought it should be, uh, chances are that's going to um, uh, create a situation where you would come in with, with just more money to close that deal. As far as... Um, you know, long-term damage in Kansas City, um, the numbers tend to stay relatively um, stable. I mean, they, they slowly go up. Uh, it's kind of like walking up a set of stairs. They in Kansas City, you don't usually see the huge swings one way or or another. So, um, gradually over time, if you're keeping that property as a rental. Uh, it will correct itself over time as far as the ARV goes because the market will likely improve um, and, and the property will uh, slowly start to uh, gain some additional value. Uh, and as far as um, that goes, you know, most investors are investing at that point for cash flow 
versus uh, necessarily an ARV anyway. So it's not like if you're a buy and hold investor and you've overstated the ARV, there's gonna you're gonna see that, but it, it's probably not gonna be a big detriment uh, to that uh, investor uh, over the course of their uh, investing as a as a landlord rental property. JJ, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best uh, real estate investing advice ever is uh, go in with eyes wide open. Um, you know, a lot of people um, get very excited. They they um, they've gone to a course or you know they've listened to a podcast or, or any of those things, and, and it's fantastic. They get very excited and they want to jump into real estate investing, and that's awesome. And, and the excitement is is definitely there. Just make sure you understand that. Uh, along with the good, there's going to be the bad. And I really want you to have a plan B, have some money set aside if you need it. And then uh, if you don't need it and you don't need your plan B, then then you're well ahead uh, of, of most people and you're, and you're doing good. But uh, if you actually need it and uh, and you've got it, then uh, again, you have your, uh, your uh, parachute, your safety mechanism. So. What's an example where you had a plan B and you used it? It happens a lot with flip properties. Um, uh, some flip properties flop. They don't sell for whatever reason. Um, you could have a perfectly done house and for some reason it just doesn't sell. Uh, depending on the market, uh, you might be able to do a lease with an option to buy. Those are fairly common in the greater Kansas City area uh, or just a straight rent. Uh, if I have a house that I'm flipping, uh, I'd like uh, Plan B to be a lease with an option to buy to a tenant maybe 12 months. Um, the only caveat on that is, is as an investor, you have to be able to um, withstand that for that period of time, whether it be 12 months or whatever the time frame, as far as your financing goes. If, if it's all cash, then that's one thing. But if you have financing in play, that should be part of your Plan B. Um so, for example, if I know that I my flip house might flop, I have to be cautious as to what I put it on the market at. I don't want to lower the price too much too fast because if uh, if I do need to go and refinance that, lowering the uh, price too much too fast is uh, going to appear to be a, a negative uh, to a conventional lender. And that is if I want to keep the property. Now, if I don't want to keep the property, then, of course, I'm going to lower the price just to sell it and be done with it. But um, if the plan B is to keep it as a rental, whether it be just a straight rent or a lease with an option to buy, then that's one thing I have to consider. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read? Psycho-Cybernetics, uh, written by Maxwell Maltz. It's not a real estate book, but it's The Power of Positive Thinking. Huh. What's the name of it again? Psycho-Cybernetics. What are cybernetics? I can't explain it, Joe, because I'm not sure, but I can tell you it's it's The Power of Positive Thinking, and for, for any listeners who, who uh, like The Secret, um, you know, the, the power of the universe, uh, it, it kind of parallels that you know, along the same lines. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it? Best ever personal growth experience was definitely the real estate meltdown of 2008 and 9. Uh, I learned to be more humble. 
I learned to listen to other people. I learned that uh, real estate investing can be very good and can also be very bad. I learned that I need a plan B. Um, I learned a lot of uh, different things from that. At the time, I didn't want to learn them, but uh, <laughs> went through it and learned. And then uh, now I can uh, help other people uh, avoid some of the mistakes and problems uh, that I had. Best ever number one tip for avoiding the mistakes and problems that you had? Get a coach or a mentor who's been there, done that, uh, of what you want to do. Um, there are coaches, there are mentors, there are experienced investors all over the place, whether it be online, there are many online sites, there's local investor groups in nearly every real estate market across the country. I always encourage investors to find someone who has been there and done what they're looking to do. Uh, many investors are more than willing to help. And um, you know, buy them a cup of coffee, buy them lunch, sit down for an hour, and uh, pick their brain, and, and that's uh, that would be invaluable to your experience. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal that I've done would be, well, several flips come to mind. These would be flips that we've sold before they're finished, multiple offers, you know, great market, you know, literally um, people just um, throwing offers above asking price. Um, we haven't even set an asking price, and they're throwing offers out there. So uh, definitely flips. Uh, as far as um, best deal that just pops into my mind, of course, there's rental property over the course of time, but as far as best deal, it would be a flip. What's a specific example? How much did it cost? How much did it cost to rehab? So cost for acquisition, cost for rehab, and how much did you make on it over what period of time? In Kansas City, a good standard number might be you might buy a property for uh, Sixty to seventy thousand. That's probably going to be a twenty, you know, probably a thirty-year-old house at this point. Three bedroom, usually two bath, two car garage, uh, in a in a nice B plus A minus neighborhood, and um, that house is probably going to need fully updating. So you're looking at probably spending, oh, uh, well, maybe twenty-five to thirty thousand. So all in, we generally budget um, around a hundred thousand in, in an area like that. That house would generally come back on the market maybe around 129 to 139, kind of depending upon um, a number of factors, including supply and demand. But uh, there were several flips back in the day where we were in those numbers between 90 to 100,000. And um, one for, you know, I was going to come back on the market at 139, and, and we got offers in the 140s even up to, I think we sold it for 152 uh, before we even finished it. So um, there, there are definitely hot markets where people are just coming in and by in droves, you know, trying to find properties. Um, so you know, in that one flip, we generated roughly 50,000 in profit. So using those numbers, I mean, that's a good, that's a good profit on something like that. Not all flips work like that. Generally, on a flip in Kansas City, I think a lot of investors expect to make roughly 20 to maybe 25,000. And over what period of time does that take from having it under contract to the closing table whenever you sell it? You should be able to do that in three to four months. Uh, there's a couple other variables, um, deed restrictions, things like that. But uh, I usually tell investors uh, four months, uh, right, especially in today's market, from start to finish. Best ever way you like to give back? Best ever way I like to give back is just working with investors. And uh, I donate a lot of my time. I sit down with investors, coffee, they come to my office, we'll sit down for 30 minutes, and uh, I'll just run through a lot of the same things we've talked about here 
and I give them as much as a real world experience and advice as I can. And I think that that's a good, uh, good way to give back uh, to other people who are um, kind of uh, wanting to do some of the things that I've already done. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? The biggest mistake I made in real estate is um, I thought that size did not matter. And what I mean by that is I was doing very well in that price range that we talked about, flipping in that hundred dollars to $150,000 price range. I was doing a, a mini flips, uh, making good money doing it. I figured, mistakenly figured that if it worked in that range, it, it had to work in a higher range. And so uh, back in uh, 2007, toward the end of 2007, a partner and I bought a um, very, very large property. It was um, in the million dollar range. And uh, we ended up doing a, a renovation for a year on this very large property. And of course, if you buy it at the end of 2007, that takes you to the end of 2008. And it was a disaster. And it ended up being the, the biggest uh, mistake uh, that I made in real estate investing, uh, I say so far, hopefully, uh, <laughs> that's it. But um, size does matter, and uh, there are there are ranges in, in everyone's market that uh, most of the houses are selling in, and, and we look at uh, where most of like for example the first time home buyers, the FHA buyers are buying. I uh, encourage investors to stick in those ranges. Um, you know, when when you've made it big, you have a lot of money sitting in the bank, and you want to go do something bigger, uh, go for it. But uh, unfortunately for me, the timing uh, was very bad, and uh, we we lost uh, a lot of money on that. And that was a uh, that was a very big mistake to to not take into account um, the size of of what I was doing. Have you blocked out the cost and what you sold it for, or do you remember those numbers? Well, both. <laughs> yeah, I uh, we ended up uh, selling it for for not much more than what we bought it for before we renovated it. So it, yeah, we definitely took a, a huge hit. And I say we it was a business partner and I, and um, again that was part of that 2008 2009 learning process. How much did you put in for the renovations? We bought that house and we put in, it was about a $500,000 scope of work. Got it. And not to dwell on it, but just what was the last question about, I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're like, dude, move on. This hurts. What was your thought process like? Did you, have you, had you read that cyber book before this or did you, did, were you just like, did this happen? And then you went to Amazon, like, I need some positive thinking <laughs> it's quick. A positive like, reinforcement. Yeah. What, what was your thought process like when you lost, you and your partner lost $500,000? Well, I, I, I'm not going to say that that's what happened as far as lost that much money, but I, 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 we did we did not do very well, but at all. But um, he, here's the thing. So, like I said earlier, going up into that, I just figured that everything was always going to work out, and I, th I think I figured that because I was having really good experiences in real estate investing. So, call it luck. Uh, I think it was just that I was working with the right people. I mentioned earlier, if you find a, a good coach or a mentor. Uh, other investors that are doing what you're doing or what you want to be doing, um, you know, you can get from point A to point B very, very quickly. So um, my thought process at the time was, you know, we were doing very well at the um, hundred to hundred fifty thousand level, so it had to work fine in the million to a million and a half level. Right. And uh, that was the that was the error in thinking. Right. But as far as like after it happened, oh. what was what did you think? Yeah, I, I get like why you did it. But then once it happened, what are your thoughts when it happens? 
I think the thoughts when it when it happens is you know how how did I uh, how, how was I so naive? Well, you know, could I have done something different? You know, the the fact of the matter was we we did all of the research that we could have, and, and we we knew the numbers, we knew the location, we were about as experienced as you possibly could have been. So I think um, the timing was just way off. Had two thousand and eight not happened, uh, we would have actually done very well on that property. But unfortunately, things come up, and as I mentioned earlier, we did not have a plan B. The only plan was to sell it. Uh, this was not a house that we were going to be able to rent. Uh, it just didn't make any sense whatsoever for that. So, you know, after the fact, you, we just have to decide. Okay, well, we just have to cut the price down until we sell it. And uh, at that point, you go from looking at big um, dollar signs as far as money you want to make to. Hey, uh, you know, I'll take little dollar signs. I'll take anything just to just to get out of the property, and uh, and ultimately that's kind of what we were thinking at the at the end. So that's um, that's what we did. We we lowered yeah. the price until we sold it. We sold it and moved on, and uh, we uh, took it on the chin. And uh, looking back, yeah, would have done it differently. But uh, you know, the, again, that's kind of how how we learn and uh, move forward and go from there. What's the best ever place to reach you? The best ever place to reach me is just by email. Email's easy, and um, uh, obviously we all check our email probably more than we should. So email jj at uncommonrealestate.com, jj at uncommonrealestate.com. Cool. And you've also got the website uncommonrealestate.com, right? Correct, yes. Okay. Well, JJ, I'm I'm gonna call you the Plan B guy <laughs> there you go. because there you go. <laughs> that was a that was a theme throughout our conversation, and it's so nice to hear the the tale of two sides of things. And I apologize, but not really, for t- asking you so many questions okay. about that that last deal because there's so many things that we can all learn from it. Sure. And it really, I mean, ties back to what you've been talking about throughout our entire conversation, and that is having a Plan B. In one specific example for a flip, plan B could be a lease option for a buyer. However, the challenge is whenever you creep up the price point ladder for properties, then your buyer's pool gets smaller and smaller. So you know it's there's more risk involved in, in that regard. So like you mentioned, the, the first time home buyer range is your sweet spot based on your market. And perhaps other markets are different. I know, you know, California has the most best ever listeners out of any state. And then all the California people are probably saying, well, good luck finding right. a $70,000 house over here. So I hear you. Can't buy a yeah, shed for seven. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So it really does depend on your market. But the, the point is to have a plan B and to make sure that you've got multiple options. And one of my favorite YouTube videos is you know Will Smith, and he's talking about never have a plan B because that distracts from plan A. But I don't think he was talking about real estate investing because I, I would bet that if he were to joint venture with us, that he would be making sure that we, we had a plan B with a flip property. Not that I would do a flip property, but just you know, to use that example. Sure. Just really enjoyed this conversation. And thank you for, for sharing your advice and talking about the differences in management between the smaller properties to the larger properties. And then, you know, just, just your experience, again, with the deals that have worked out and deals that didn't and having a model to go after and to use the tried and true approach. That's what's worked. And then getting outside of the comfort zone, seeing what doesn't work and uh, what we can learn from that as well. So thanks a lot for being on the show, JJ, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it.